So if you brought a Bible with you, you can open it to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, um, we would love to give you one. We have Bibles back there on the welcome table, and uh, we'd love to give you that for free. Um, if, you, if you don't have one sitting with you this morning, we will have the, the scripture passages up on the screen. But I want to encourage you, if you don't have a Bible or you didn't bring one, um, because we are going to sing, pr- uh, pray, read, and preach God's word, this is vital to bring, okay? Every week, we will open this up. We will read from it together. We will hear God's word together. And so I want to encourage you to bring that. And if you don't have one, we'll give you one so that you can keep bringing that one back, okay? There's some instructions inside it to help you, um, if, you, if, you're, uh, if you're not used to reading it or um, especially to just like put your name in it because all of those Bibles look the same back there. So um, we want to help you keep the one that you've gotten, okay? Um, so Titus chapter 2, it's about two-thirds of the way through the New Testament. It's between 2 Timothy and Philemon. If you're unfamiliar where that is, there's no shame and using the table of contents to find it. If you do grab a Bible from the back uh, uh, welcome table, it's on page 1058. Okay? There are 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. And we often call them books as a general term, but there are actually several types of, of genres represented across these 66 books. And so today, we're not looking at an actual book. We're looking at a letter. That, Titus, or that, um, that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young pastor named Titus. And so the name of the book is Titus, but we need to think of it as a letter that Paul wrote, okay? And, and, and um, it'd be similar to something that we would write to someone today, or, or like, uh, if you don't know what a letter is, it'd be like an email, okay? Um, that, that you just read from start to finish, now, when Paul wrote this letter to Titus, there were no verse and chapter numbers, and so it was, it was simply this, this one whole letter. The verses and the chapter numbers were added later for us so that we could locate. So that I could actually say, hey, open your Bibles to Titus chapter 2, and then we're going to read verses 11 through 14 this morning, okay? Now, Titus was on the island of Crete when he got this letter from, from Paul. It's an island in the Mediterranean Sea. It's about 200 miles south of Athens, Greece. You can go there today. You can take a trip and you can walk on the same ground that Titus walked when he was reading this letter. It's a real place. These are real people. This is a real letter. Okay? Um, Paul wrote this letter to Titus in the early 60s, and I'm not talking about 1960s. Okay? I'm talking about first century. This letter is almost 2,000 years old. And even though it wasn't written to us, we need to understand that it was written to Titus from Paul. It wasn't written to us, but it was preserved, and it was passed on, and it was included in Scripture for us so that we can know God and we can know ourselves better through it. And Paul and Titus had just finished this, this journey through uh, the island of Crete, and they started a bunch of new churches. They probably didn't have the same cool t-shirts that we do, um, but these churches, they were founded on the same thing this one is, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and the problem was, though, that there were several false teachers on the island that would come into these churches behind Paul and Titus, and they would distort the gospel. These false teachers, they, they were concerned with uh, uh, ritual purity, but, but not true godliness. They were moral on the outside, but they were defiled and unbelieving on the inside. Paul actually says that about them in the letter. 
But Paul's main message in this letter to Titus is that true godliness, true morality only comes through faith in Christ through the gospel. True godliness comes from God's grace, not man's works. This is a truth that we all need to understand, whether you're a Christian or not. And the verses that we're going to read today are going to lay this out for us clearly. And so I want to read them, and then I want to pray again, because prayer is is vital for us to, to understand. We need the Holy Spirit's help. When we open this thing, these are spiritual things, and so we need the Spirit himself who knows the mind of Christ to give us insight into what we're reading And so I want to read these verses and then pray, and then we'll keep going with the message. Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of God of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Let's pray. Lord, your word is perfect, renewing one's life. Your word is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. Your word is right, making the heart glad. Your word is radiant, making the eyes light up. Your word is reliable and altogether righteous. And so we pray that you would open our eyes, that we may see the wonderful things, the wonderful truth of the gospel in your word today, that you would open our ears, that we might hear the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ with joy and thanksgiving, and that you would open our hearts to know and believe that everything we need is found in him alone, for his glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Redeemer's mission statement says that we exist to bring glory to Jesus Christ by helping each other connect the realities of the gospel to the realities of our lives. But, but what does that mean, right? It, it might sound catchy, and, and, but what does this mean? How do we do that? Why do we need to do that? We chose those words because it's, it's easy for Christians, for us as believers in Christ, to actually forget how to live as Christians. We have this tendency to separate the, the practicalities of our lives from the promises of the gospel. We often see our lives in the gospel as, as two separate things, where we piece the gospel in as part of our lives, but we often fail to live as though our lives are part of the gospel. And the gospel is the ultimate reality that every believer is called to live out every moment of every day. We never graduate from the gospel. We just live further and further into it. And so, so how do we do that? What, what's the glue that we use to connect the realities of the gospel to the realities of our lives? What's the thing that bonds these these two things together in our lives. It's God's grace. It's God's grace. But the problem is we all suffer from grace amnesia. We forget what grace is and what it does, and so we try to add things to it or, or take things away from it. And when we do that, we're in danger of connecting our lives 
to a false gospel instead of the true one. And when we disconnect ourselves from the source of our life, we fail then to truly live. So the truth that we're going to see in this passage this morning is that we need to remember God's grace because it connects us to God's gospel and enables us to live as God's people. And that's because God's grace is a saving grace. And God's grace is a transforming grace. And God's grace is a finishing grace. We need to remember God's grace because it's a saving grace. Look back at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, it's important right here that we note both the ownership and the direction of the grace. Whose grace is this? What does Paul say here? He says it's God's grace, right? And that means it travels from God to people. It's one direction, from God to people. God is the source of grace. People are the recipients of grace. We need to understand that. And what does Paul say that God's grace does here in this verse? He says it brings salvation for all people. And so this means that all people need to be saved from something, right? But what is that? Now remember I said this is a letter. We're reading part of it. Paul actually tells us what that is if you look a little bit further into chapter 3, verse 3. He says, For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, he poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by our works, by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Paul makes it clear what we need to be saved from is ourselves. He says we were once this way, but God saved us from that. He rescued us from ourselves. This is countercultural in our world today. You see, the culture says that the problem is external and the solution is internal. Maybe you've heard this expression before. Live your truth. Live your truth. It's a phrase that, that essentially... Uh, it summarizes the concept of searching deep inside yourself to find out who you really are and live your most truthful self. Now, that sounds good, right? I read an article about it the other day, and here's what the author said. If you ignore the judgment, if you ignore the hate, if you ignore society's expectations and definitions, you will become aware of the truth within you. In other words, the problem is external, and the solution is internal. But let me ask you something. What if someone, someone else decides that their truth is that the world owes them and they can take whatever they want from it? Can you tell them that they're wrong according to this concept? Don't they have the right to just ignore your judgment? What if they think their truth is, is that their mission in life is to rid the world of everyone that's not like them? Can you call them hateful? According to this concept, they, don't they have the right to call you hateful for thinking that about them? 
You see, when we ignore judgment, when we ignore hate, when we ignore society's expectations and definitions, what we're doing is we're ignoring reality. We're ignoring everyone's truth. It's a universal truth that says that we're all in danger of ourselves, uh, to ourselves and to others, and we are in need of rescue. One of our values here at Redeemer is reality. We believe it's vital for each of us to take an honest look at ourselves and an honest look at Jesus. You want to know why people are judgmental? Do you want to know why people are hateful, why they slap labels on one another that are unfair? And I'm not saying, I want you to hear this, I'm not saying that we, we need to receive what society says about us and, and get our identity from them. But do you know why, why, why our culture is that way? It's because we're all inherently what Paul says in chapter 3, verse 3. Foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. If we take an honest look at Jesus and his word, then we're confronted with this honest view of ourselves and the reality that the problem is not external, the problem is internal. And the solution is not internal, the solution is external. It can't come from within us. It has to come from without us. I am the problem, not the solution. And that is why I can only be the recipient of the grace and not the source of it. It's one direction from God to people. And let's just remember for a second, who is writing this letter here? Okay, This is the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to Pastor Titus, reminding him to teach uh, the Christians in all of the churches on the whole island of Crete. As an apostle, Paul carries this authority of God with him, similar to an Old Testament prophet. He's speaking the very words of God. And, and, and Titus, as a pastor, carries this authority with him to teach God's word and to shepherd these people toward godly living. Now, in human terms, it might be tempting to place these men on this pedestal and view them in a class of their own, as if they've somehow arrived when the people in the churches have not. But while it's true that these men have been given leadership roles, they're not above the people that they serve in those leadership roles. Paul places himself and Titus in the same need of God's saving grace as anyone else. He, he doesn't say they too were once. He's writing to Titus, remember. He says we too were once. He's including himself and Titus in that we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. This is Paul. This is Titus. This is everyone. Paul was on his way to kill Christians when Jesus appeared to him and changed his heart. You can read about that in Acts chapter 9. Grace came from God to Paul through Christ. And Paul's problem was internal, and the solution was external. You see, it's God's kindness and his love that shows us our need to be rescued from ourselves. This is really good news. It sounds like bad news. It's hard to admit that you can't fix you. But it's when we come to the end of ourselves that we hear God has not left us to ourselves. 
It's his kindness and his love that shows us our need to be rescued from ourselves. It's his mercy that removes from us the punishment that we deserve for our sins against him. And, it places, and, he, and he places that on his son at the cross. It's the power of the Holy Spirit to wash us clean from the filth of our sin and give life to our dead hearts. So even as I stand here this morning and share this with you, I recognize my own need for this. I am no different from you are than you are. I need this grace. It can only come from God to us. And grace this amazing. That's the only way it works. From God to us through Christ. In chapter 3, verse 7, Paul says that we're justified by God's grace through Jesus Christ, our Savior. If I'm justified, you can think of it this way. It's an easy way to remember it. It's just as if I'd never sinned. If I'm justified, it's just as if I'd never sinned. That means that we can stand, again, we can approach a holy God as holy people because our unholiness was placed on his holy son and his holiness was placed on us. This is the foundation of your faith, Christian. It's God's saving grace in Jesus Christ from God to us through Christ, in love, God sent his son to die on the cross for rebellious sinners and rise from the grave on the third day to defeat the power of sin and death once and for all so that anyone who repents, anyone who turns away from their sin and turns toward Christ in love, and anyone who believes in his finished work of redemption can be saved. But there's one more thing that we need to say here before we move on. When Paul says that God's grace has appeared bringing salvation for all people, that doesn't mean that all people will be saved without exception. If that were the case, there'd be no need for this. There'd be no need for the preaching of the gospel. There'd be no need for, for a call to respond to it in faith because everyone would be saved regardless of what they do if, if it's all without exception. Instead, what it means is that God's saving grace is available to all people without distinction. It's not just available to men and not women. It's not just available to adults and not children. It's not just available to rich people and not poor people. It's not just available to Americans and not Iranians or Koreans or Russians. The way to salvation, the gate is Christ. If you read the first part of Titus chapter 2, you, you see that Paul is instructing men and women. He's instructing adults. He's instructing uh, young people. He's instructing people of every age and, and social class to live out the gospel. It's all people without distinction, not all people without exception. And because grace comes from God to people, anyone can receive it, but not everyone will. I'm sure most of you are familiar with John 3.16. You've probably at least seen it at some, in reference, some sporting event on a bright green poster board. Here's how the, the Christian Standard Bible puts it. That's the translation we're using. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son that, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. But are you familiar with verses 17 and 18? 
They say this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's good news, right? But to, but to the world, or, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. By the way, this is Jesus talking here to a man named Nicodemus. It's in John chapter 3, right? Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned. For we were once. We start that way. The problem is internal. The solution is external. Anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son. That's referring to Jesus Christ. He's talking about himself there. There will be people who deny the saving grace of God through their unbelief, and those people will not enter God's kingdom, but instead they condemn themselves to an eternity of real, conscious torment brought about by God's holy justice and wrath. Listen, don't let that be you this morning. Take an honest look at yourself and an honest look at Jesus. See this saving grace. Yes, it's bad news to realize that I can't help me. But I don't have to wallow there. I can actually receive that and be released from that. Because there's good news involved. See the saving grace that God has brought to you as the solution to your problem of sin and rebellion against him. See his kindness and his love to come to you when you've turned away from him and be rescued from you this morning. Christ offers you this forgiveness and life through his sacrificial death and resurrection. Christ came to save sinners, and guess what? That's me, that's you. All without distinction, not all without exception. So I invite you this morning to turn. If, 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 if you haven't realized that, that you're the problem, I love you. You're the problem. I'm the problem. Jesus is the solution. And so you can turn from your sin. You can confess your need for him, and you can trust in him this morning, and you can do that right now. There's no formal thing that you have to do. But if you want to talk to somebody about it, I, I really want you to. And I want to encourage you to find somebody with a, a lanyard on and talk more about it. Listen, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to his word alone, for the glory of God alone. It's all of grace. It's all of God. As Christians, we need to remember God's grace because it's a saving grace. It's the foundation for how we live. And we must continue to remember God's grace as we live because God's grace is also a transforming grace. Look at verse 12. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. We've established that the problem is internal and the solution is external, meaning that our hearts are corrupted and in need of rescue, and the rescuer is not us. But the rescuer comes, and he doesn't just make us look good on the outside. No, he continues th that work inside us, in our hearts. And over time, that work becomes evident on the outside. This is what differentiates the false teachers from the true followers of Christ on the island of Crete. This is what differentiates the false teachers from the true followers of Christ here in Minunk. When we experience the saving grace, 
of God in Jesus Christ from God's gospel, we, a, a desire grows in us to live in a way that pleases him. Because we're prone to grace amnesia, though, that desire can be driven by wrong motives. I think one of the biggest tendencies that we have as Christians is, is to trust Jesus for our salvation, but then we live in this way that tries to prove our worthiness of that, or we live in a way that, that, that uh, we, we just spend so much time and effort trying to pay God back for the free gift of forgiveness that we've been given. Here's a way that you can tell if you're doing that. If you, have gospel, if you have grace amnesia, it's to look at how you respond when you sin now that you've been saved. Do you get angry at yourself and then tell God you're sorry and you'll do better next time? It's grace amnesia. You're trying to prove your worthiness. Do you run away and hide from him and avoid dealing with your sin? You feel like you can't pay God back, so why even try? It's grace amnesia. Listen, I love you. If you're in Christ, you are justified in Christ. Just as if you'd never sinned. The penalty for your sin has been paid. There is no debt left for you to repay. You've adopted, you've been adopted as God's child, and that's a forever thing. Listen, he will not unadopt you because you because of the sin that remains in your life. Now that your hope and your trust is in Christ, you can be absolutely confident that his blood covers every sin you've ever committed and every sin that you will commit. You are his forever, period. And there's nothing to earn and nothing to make up for. There's only grace to receive and to rest in. And so you can freely, listen, you can run to him. And not away from him when you sin. And you can confess that sin and know that you can be confident that you'll be forgiven. You can approach the throne of grace with boldness to find mercy and grace in your time of need. Now, does that mean that we're just free to keep on sinning and there'll be no consequences? No way. That would be an abuse of God's grace. That's what the false teachers were doing and, and teaching on the island of Crete. If you're living in, here, here, here's how you know, okay? If you're living in a settled peace with your sin, instead of a settled peace with God, you shouldn't be so quick to assume that you found that saving grace. There's a difference between denying God's grace altogether and, and sometimes forgetting it. The difference is whether or not you feel the kindness and, of, of conviction when you sin. Everyone who has truly been saved has been given God's Holy Spirit as a down payment for an, internal, uh, an eternal inheritance. You have the Holy Spirit living in you to change the affections of your heart away from your sin and toward God. That's what repentance means. It means I'm walking this way toward my sin and I turn and I walk this way toward God. And the Holy Spirit helps you do that. And so now as a follower of Christ, when you sin, his Holy Spirit keeps you from being at peace with what you've done. He doesn't pile guilt on. There's no shame for anyone who is in Christ. No more condemnation. You can't even condemn yourself. And the Holy Spirit lovingly points out your grace amnesia through the kindness of conviction. I've, I've sinned. I've done wrong. And he helps you turn quickly back to the Father for forgiveness because you've already, listen, been justified through his son. That is a once and forever thing. You're not re-justified. That's forever. God has rescued you from your unholiness and made you holy through his holy son. 
And now he calls you to live in that holiness so that you look more and more like his son as his child. You've been adopted into his family. And for that, listen, he's given you this transforming grace. If God's saving grace rescues you from the penalty of sin, then his transforming grace rescues you from the power of sin that remains in you. Look at what it says in verse 12. It says, God's grace instructs us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts. Now, newsflash, Paul did not write this letter in English, okay? He wrote it in Greek, and in the Greek, that word instructing, it, it carries this idea of, of this teaching that helps you form habits. It's, it's a training of sorts. It's an over and over and over again thing. And God's transforming grace, it teaches us over time, and it trains us to live more and more according to our new nature in Christ and less and less according to our old nature of sin. Before we once denied God, now his grace enables us to deny our ungodliness. Before we once lived for ourselves and, now our, our, and our own worldly desires, now his grace enables us to live for him and the desires of his kingdom. Before we once were self-indulgent and lived that way, now his grace enables us to live sensibly in self-control. Before we did what was right in our own eyes, now his grace enables us to do what's right in God's eyes before we lived in our own way, according to our own ways. Now, his transforming grace enables us to live according to his ways. The rest of your life here on earth, follower of Christ, is lived in this transforming grace. And you might think, well, why, why doesn't God just take away the rest of our sin and, and when he saves us and, and just take us to be with him right away? It's because God uses his transforming grace in you to reveal his saving grace to those around you. Listen, the more the realities of the gospel are lived out in the realities of your life, the more the opportunities you will have to tell that gospel to people who see that change in you. And not just to them, but to everyone that God puts in front of you. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. People need to hear the gospel. You've got to use words in order to believe and to be saved. And the more you see and experience God's transforming grace at work in you, listen, the more you will be compelled then to tell others about his saving grace through the gospel of his son. So, so when I ask you, how do you see God's transforming grace in your life right now? What, what ways is his grace teaching you how to live in a new way? How are you feeling the kindness of his conviction and being drawn back to him in forgiveness? Where are you prone to forget his transfer, uh, transforming grace and try to do better or try to repay God? As Christians, we can embrace God's transforming grace in our lives right now because we know that this is all going somewhere. We fight against grace amnesia because we know that God's grace is a finishing grace. Look at verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That word wait, in the Greek it means to look forward to the fulfillment of our expectation. Have you ever looked forward to something? Only to be disappointed when it finally comes because it's failed? to fulfill your expectations. Maybe it was a movie you were waiting to see. Maybe it was a, a package you are waiting to receive. Vacation you are waiting to go on. I have no clue. I think we can all raise our hands, though, and think of something. We were excited about it, and then when it finally came, 
disappointed. Left you dissatisfied because it wasn't as good as you hoped it would be. And the more often that happens, the harder it is to get excited about the next thing and believe it's not going to let you down. But that is not the tone that Paul uses here. He doesn't say, while we wait for the unlikely hope. What does he say? He says, we, while we wait for the blessed hope. And what is this blessed hope? It's the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's gospel culminates in the return of Christ and the renewal of all things. It's a promise of God. He cannot lie. Paul says it in this letter, Titus 1, verse 2. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. A day is coming when Jesus Christ will return to earth in all his glory, and this final judgment of all mankind will take place. No one will escape it. Every wrong will be made right. Every injustice brought to justice. Everyone who has denied God through their unbelief will be condemned to an eternity apart from his grace in a place where they will know and they will feel God's holy wrath without end or relief. That is a real thing that's really going to happen to real people who really deny the grace of God. Because he's faithful. Listen. Everyone who has received God's saving grace and God's transforming grace through faith in Christ will receive his finishing grace on that day. His saving grace is rescued from the penalty of sin. His, his uh, transforming grace continues to rescue you from the power of sin. Christ has already received your judgment and given you his righteousness. The penalty of sin is gone. His transforming grace continues to rescue you from the power of sin. His Holy Spirit, who now lives in you, will guide you into all truth and guard you from anything or anyone that tries to pry you from God's strong and mighty hand. And on that glorious day, it's a glorious day, when Christ himself, the great Redeemer, will rescue you from the presence of sin altogether. You will be complete in him. No work left to be done. And you will enter his rest and be with him forever. Why? Because he's faithful to complete the work that he began in you. From God to us through Christ. And he can do that because God is not just the source of grace. God is grace himself. Paul summarizes it all in verse 14. He gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. The grace of God has appeared not as a thing, but as a person. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, he gave himself. He came and he lived the life that we should have lived but didn't because of our sin and our rebellion against God. He died the death we should have died because of our sin and rebellion against God. He took our sin and he gave us his righteousness even though we sinned and rebelled against God. He rose from the grave to defeat the power of sin and rebellion and death that we were enslaved to and he rescued us from ourselves. He gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness. That is saving grace. He gave himself to cleanse us. That's transforming grace so that we can be his people for his possession who live and reign forever with him in his kingdom. That is finishing grace. And what's our response to all this? 
is to be eager to do good works. Now, wait a minute. We're saved by grace, not by man's works, right? We don't do these good works to repay God for what he's done. We could never do enough good to pay God back. We don't do these works to earn what we've been given. Listen, you can't earn a gift. But we do it to let our lives be this celebratory display of the grace that we have received in Jesus Christ so that we might tell others of this grace that has appeared and they might believe in him resulting in his glory and his glory alone from God to man through Christ all for him. So how do we help each other connect the realities of the gospel to the realities of our lives? We do it by helping each other remember God's grace. Grace that's sufficient to save us from our sin. Grace that's sufficient to transform us into Christ's likeness. Grace that's sufficient to complete the work that it began in us. Listen, I need to be reminded of this grace, and I need you to help me. You need to be reminded of this grace, and we need to help each other. And God has given you his word, his spirit, and his church as more means of grace to help us remind each other of it. We preach the gospel of God's grace to ourselves and to one another and to the world around us over and over and over again until our great redeemer returns and our grace amnesia is no more. God's grace connects us to God's gospel and enables us to live as God's people. So don't forget God's grace, but remember it and rest in it while you live as an instrument of this grace, leading others to the only one in whom grace is found, Jesus Christ, from God to man through Christ. This is not just the mission of Redeemer Community Church. This is the mission of all who have been redeemed. We've been given the saving and transforming and finishing grace of God that we need in Jesus Christ to carry this mission out. Amen? pray. Jesus, we thank you that we can stand here in your grace, free, alive, and being constantly remade into your image. Lord, would you help our grace amnesia? Would you help us to know and remember the gospel each and every day of our lives. Would you help us to uh, find it in your word, to hear it in your church, to know it through your spirit, and to tell it to one another so that every day we get closer and closer to the finishing grace with hope, confidence, expectation that will not be let down. May we be faithful to do that, not because... It's in us, but because you're in us. In Jesus' name, amen.